0: And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about finance, money and investing, broadcast locally on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally around the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Ray Trevison, from OJG Capital, and I'm really, really pleased to welcome back to the microphone, Marks, from the Self-Managed Superfund Association. Now, previously, uh, Neil, we had you on the show. Thank you for coming back.
1: It's a pleasure, Ray. Thanks for having me back.
0: Wonderful. And uh, look, the, the last show that we talked about, you know are SMSFs appropriate for you? I think that's a great 1.01 type of question to pose because they're such a popular vehicle for, uh, for retirement. I'm an SMSF owner myself. I'll, I'll uh, volunteer that information early and often. Uh, And and one of the things we talked about in the first show, and I hope to have you again over and over because I also have other super experts come on the show, but this one specifically about SMSFs is important because probably, what, about a third of all the money in in super today is tied up in SMSFs, very roughly?
1: Yeah, close. Yep. Yeah. Just under $900 billion.
0: Yeah. So it's a big, big chunk of money that people are out there managing their own future, which is great. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so, um, and one of the things I want to herald, I guess, with you and the association and, you you know, this great organisation that advocates for the industry, but also about education, which is what we're all about. And so I think there's some really, really good success stories, but within this incredibly large chunk of the super industry, there's also a lot of pitfalls. And I guess one of the things that we tried to cover off in the first show uh, it was, you know, is it the right fit? And I think that's a great place to start. But what I wanted to cover with you today, uh, your follow-up article in the association website, i, I got to read this out. It says, for these DIY funds, which we talk about as SMSFs, you know, do it yourself, I have another name, the Destroy It Yourself Fund. So <laughs> I wanted to pick up on that theme. Why do you call it the potential to just dis- destroy it yourself?
1: It's what I said in the last interview, Ray. Yes, they're called a self-managed super fund, but don't be too literal with that first part of the description. Self, um, they're very complex. You you need to be across superannuation law tax law and corporations law if you've got a company acting as trustee of your fund. You'll also have a company acting as trustee if you use a borrowing arrangement to purchase something like property. So you're across the Corps Act, the CIS Act and the Tax Act. Um, That takes a a degree of financial literacy and it needs a bit of navigation. So um, the best navigators are going to be SMSF specialist advisors. So it, it is a financial product under corporations law, we talked about that last week. Um, That means you need to get advice from a licensed financial advisor. So our view is, yes, they're a self-managed super fund. That means you have ultimate, say, control and responsibility. Um, But don't do it alone. Get a team of experts around you and navigate safely. That's really the key.
0: I think one of the things that we picked up on the very first interview, and I really, really uh, appreciated the fact that you mentioned this early and often because I'm a big person in in this regard around education, is that not everybody out in the SMSF world is necessarily looking after your best interest. They are sometimes looking after their own best interest. And we talked about the one-stop shop. And I think the one-stop shop places that are out there selling this packaged SMSF environment tend... To, I guess, focus primarily in and around property. Uh, I'm curious as to why you think that might be the case.
1: Well, again, it's a misconception. Um, The property is not a financial product under corporations law. So I think there's a misconception out there that says if I buy a property, it's unregulated, so I can receive unregulated advice. I don't need a financial planner. I don't need someone who has a license to give the advice. The problem is, ASIC's view who is the regulator, um, believe that when you attach the property being the um, non-financial asset to an SMSF as the entity that's purchasing the asset, it becomes a financial product. So, now it's regulated. So, this this notion that you can give, um, not give advice, you're just giving factual information that leads someone to make a decision that buying this property is good, the vehicle to buy this property can be an SMSF and the SMSF can borrow money to do so, Um, that that's not advice is wrong, it is advice. Once you bring an SMSF to the table. uh, financial product advice personal advice uses a reasonable person test and that reasonable person test is did the person receiving the advice believe that the person giving it to them was suitably qualified experienced and had considered their personal circumstances and needs once that happens you has got You've got financial advice and licensing all over it. So the first question people should ask if someone's giving them advice about a self-managed super fund in any form is, do you hold an Australian financial services license or are you authorised under a financial services license to give advice? If the answer is no, walk away. Go find someone who is, and then you're getting regulated advice. You're protected under the Corporations Act through the best interest duty and other related obligations, and you can be sure that the advice you're getting is right for you.
0: I think you use a really interesting term there, Neil, the the reasonable person. And I guess if we want to translate that back into very basic, I guess, media type speak, it's the pub test. It, it's Absolutely. really the pub test is what we're talking about, and and again, as a licensee myself, I hold an AFSL, and uh, and a, as a responsible manager, we get approached to get licensed. And I actually spoke to a property uh, product provider, whom used SMSFs as a vehicle. And when I was speaking to the person in question i said you're telling me that after three months you know you you turn up a mum and dad doesn't have an smsf but at the end of the three months they've bought your property and they do have an smsf and they haven't been given any personal advice And this lady swore black and blue, absolutely, we haven't given them one bit of advice. And I just said, no, I really, really, really don't think so. So I I think one of the things I want to do during the course of today's show is cover off some of those intricacies. Because one one of the wonderful things about education is that in this country, we have what's called recourse borrowing. And when we start talking about borrowing and SMSFs, we're now venturing into a different world. And what I wanted to do is maybe pose the question to you, because it's not about me today. Can you explain to the listeners what recourse borrowing means when they borrow, for example, a mortgage, you know, they they get a mortgage from one of the big four banks, for example?
1: So the bit, I guess the history lesson is you look at America during the GFC. Uh,
0: thank house, you. I was going to mention house, that, but please go ahead. Yes.
1: House prices are plummeting. Um, the banks have, the, the people have loans with the banks. Um, the bank basically goes, your house is worth less than your loan. In America, they simply post the keys back to the bank and walk out. It's the bank's problem. the bank sells it for less than they owe, that's the bank's problem. So the bank's collapse. In Australia, we have full recourse borrowing, which means the bank takes security over your house. Really simply, 20% deposit on a million-dollar house means you put in $200,000, the bank lends you $800,000. If at a point in the future, the house price drops to $800,000 and you can't afford to keep up your loan repayments and the bank calls in the loan, so foreclosure, At that point, the bank sells your house for $800,000. The bank keeps its whole $800,000 to repay your loan and your $200,000 of hard-fought savings and equity has evaporated and you've got to chalk it up to a life experience. It's a horrible thing. Um, So the difference became with SMSFs, you have to protect the retirement savings of the individual. And this is something I'd really love to talk to you about, Ray. SMSFs are a great wealth creation vehicle, wealth protection vehicle. So, your superannuation funds are protected from creditors in bankruptcy, right? So, if you've got an SMSF that owns commercial property that you run your business from, and your business falls into difficulty, it's too easy for people to go to their SMSF bank account and prop up their ailing business. But all that happens is their unsuccessful business continues to slide, And they've drained their retirement savings. As hard as a decision it would be to walk away from a business and let it fail, you're better to do that, knowing that your entire superannuation balance is protected from creditors in bankruptcy. So So I'll just pick up on creation, wealth protection, and wealth distribution in the final phase.
0: So I just want to pick up on a few things there. So, for example, ladies and gents, one of the things that I always refer to and have done so in previous shows, if you're not quite sure about what happened in America, a really, really good Hollywood movie is called The Big Short. Okay. And I see you nodding wisely. Okay. So the big short had um, Steve Carell and uh, uh, Ryan Gosling and a whole bunch of uh, Christian Bale. And so, and, and it's very, very true to form. It's what happened, ladies and gents, you know, when you watch this movie, you sit there, it's Stunned that this kind of malfeasance occurred, but it did, and it, it occurred at such a scale that it sent the entire world into meltdown and caused the GFC in the late twenty ten in the late 2000s, to noughties, I can't remember, I don't know what, what to refer to that correctly. But
1: 2008, but, 2008 2009.
0: Correct. And so we're talking about collapse of economic systems around the world because of irresponsible lending. Now, here in Australia, we are protected because of recourse borrowing. And as you rightly point out, Neil, if you can't pay your mortgage, you are still on the hook. Now, um, we're going to go to a break very, very shortly, but we are going to come back from uh, the break and we're going to be talking about how SMSFs borrow – and something called an LRBA, a Limited Recourse Borrowing Account. So, arrangement, that's right, No, a, a, a LRBA, Limited Recourse Borrowing Arrangement. And the rules for SMSFs are very, very different to mum and dad going up to a high street bank and saying, give me a coded loan. And so I guess one of those elements, probably out of all of the the education that planners do around SMSFs, this is probably the most complex. Would you, Would you agree with me on that, Neil?
1: It's definitely up there, yes.
0: Yeah. And and I know, I remember when I studied this myself, LRBAs took a lot of time and I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of research because you've got to understand this concept about what is and is not on the hook. And I think your example there of using commercial real estate, because... I love SMSFs, and I've spoken to people that have used their SMSF to buy commercial property for their own small business. It's a fabulous way to go. It's, I, I think it's gold. It's absolute gold. But as you rightly say, there are also some traps there as well. So,
1: nothing's, nothing's without risk. And of course, the flip <laughs> side is it, it makes it more confusing because there are rules that apply to commercial property that people assume would then apply to any property. Very true. Residential is different to commercial. So that would be the stuff I'd love to sort of drill down and talk to you about.
0: Brilliant. So look, it's just about time for a break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about finance, money, investing. We are due for a short break and a little uh, station announcement. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for dollars and making sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money and investing. I'm your host, Ray Trevison. and at the microphone this week, we have returning Neil Sparks from the Self-Managed Superfund Association. He is a product expert and uh, an advocate for the SMSF industry, and today we are talking about property and SMSFs. Now, before we went to the break new, we were talking about limited recourse borrowing arrangements. So, I'm going to throw the microphone back to you. What is an LRBA?
1: Okay. So, a limited recourse borrowing arrangement gives uh, SMSFs the opportunity to uh, borrow money to purchase what is called a single acquirable asset. Now, that definition of single acquirable asset is the really fundamental element to limited recourse borrowing arrangements. They're essentially a structure uh, between the SMSF, the bank, um, for the loan to buy the asset. But then on top of that, you have to have a bare trust. So obviously a bare trust requires another trustee. So you have to use a, and it's much easier with the diagram, um, you have to have a separate trustee. (laughs) for the bear trust then you have a bear trust that holds the asset on trust for the smsf which of course is a trust on holding assets for the individual member this is why it gets really complicated if you've got a corporate trustee for your self-managed super fund, which um, in most instances, if you want to use a limited recourse borrowing arrangement, you will have to have a corporate trustee for your self-managed super fund. Okay. Uh, the lenders don't like individual trustees. So now we've got a situation where we've got a special purpose company as corporate trustee for our self-managed super fund, then we're told we have to have another trustee for a bear trust. So a very common question is, can I use? the corporate trustee of the SMSF? The answer is no. You must have a separate corporate trustee company to be the trustee of that bear trust for the borrowing. Now, a special purpose company for your corporate trustee of your SMSF has a low annual ASIC fee the second corporate trustee for the bear trust does not. So what you're starting to sense here is the costs are ratcheting up. You've paid money to set up an SMSF, you've paid money for the bear trust, uh, sorry, for the corporate trustee of the SMSF. Now you're gonna go down the limited recourse borrowing arrangement, we need another company to act as trustee for the bear trust, we need a bear trust, and then we're gonna be paying bank fees and the like. So there is considerable expense when it goes to setting up a limited recourse borrowing arrangement and the structure becomes complex. Now, um, if you have, uh, you're have you going well, you're very successful, and you want to set up another, you want to buy another property, well, you need another bear trust for that property. Oh, right. Each, each bear trust can only hold one single acquirable asset. Now, the good news is you can use the same corporate trustee that you used for the first bear trust for the second mm-hmm. and successive, uh, successive trusts. So you only need that one, but you can have multiple bare trusts. Now you can use a limited recourse borrowing arrangement to buy property, but you can also use it to buy other single acquirable assets. So you could structure a loan to buy shares if you were that way inclined. It doesn't work in practice because a single acquirable asset means Westpac shares. So single acquirable asset or collection of identical assets. So, collection of identical assets means you could buy shares, but you can only buy Westpac shares. You then have another bear trust (laughs) and another loan to buy Commonwealth Bank shares. Oh my word! Another bear trust and another loan to buy BHP shares. Right, so it becomes totally unwieldy. Then the next problem is it's a single acquirable asset collection of identical assets. They have to be bought and sold in bulk. You can't do dividend reinvestment plans. You can't sell 10%, take profit. If you bought a thousand CBA shares and they went up, you've got to sell a thousand CBA shares. So, you can't treat it like a normal share portfolio. So, this is what I was saying to you. It's the the complexity and the nuance in the rules that you have to go, in my personal investing experience, I can reinvest dividends, I can sell to take profit, I can really play with this portfolio. Once you bring a loan into place, it all goes out the window. So, the single Mm -hmm. acquirable asset. So, if we now go to property, you go, I'm going to buy an apartment off the plan. So you can do that, you can buy an apartment off the plan as long as there's no settlement before the completion of the project. So you you can do a house and land package as long as you don't settle the land and then build the house. It's gotta be that you've bought a house and land package that is settled at completion of the house. So if you, because again, a single acquirable asset is potentially the vacant land so if you use a loan and buy a block of land and then think you'll borrow later to build a house on it you can't while the loan's in place the single acquirable asset is vacant land you can't change the character of the vacant land putting a house on vacant land changed the character it's not vacant land anymore so you have all to right pay off the loan so this is, this is what I talk about, the complexity. So imagine this, you go, well, what I'll do is I'll buy the block of land personally off my super fund oh. to, to pay it, right, so then the loan's paid out. Then I'll structure a single acquirable, uh, an LRBA, to buy the whole thing um, and develop the building. And of course, once you've purchased the block of land personally, we've got another rule in SIS that says there's a prohibition against acquiring assets from a related party. The only exceptions are listed securities and business real property. Vacant land is not business real property, it's residential. So therefore, I'm prohibited from buying that block of land off myself. So this is what I say. So there's so much complexity in it that people make mistakes. I've seen situations where people have bought uh, houses using LRBAs and demolished the house To build a commercial property there because it was zoned commercial the minute you've demolished the house you can't borrow any more money you can't change the character of the asset you've actually reduced the value of the asset because you demolished the building Uh the only way you can fix it is to sell the block of land right so there's so many rules these are the things that you need to be aware of so people think i'm going to buy this block and i'm going to subdivide the backyard off of it If there's a loan in place, you can't do that because creating a new block of land is changing the character of the asset. Um, As I said in the article, if you buy a small house on a big block and you want to make it a big house so that it rents for more and it increases its capital value, you can do that but you can't borrow money for it. You have to have cash in the fund. If you've used a limited recourse borrowing arrangement to buy an asset, uh, like a house, um, you can't sit there and go, I bought a house for a million dollars. It's now worth $1.5 million. I'm going to use the equity in that to buy another one where I funded 100%. It was a very common wealth creation strategy in your personal name. I buy a house for a million, it goes up by 20%. I use that 20% to buy another place. Sure, The equity of the two together means I can borrow this much and away we go. Can't do that in an SMSF. The equity is frozen inside that bear trust and that asset.
0: Whoa.
1: The only way to release that equity is to sell it.
0: To it sell it, yeah. From a
1: million to two million, you've got to sell it, realise capital gains, then go, right, now after i've paid the loan off i've got a million dollars i'll put half a million each in to buy two properties with two loans so it's just not the same rules as what we know when it comes to personal investing in listed securities or property so property investment buy it subdivide it change it do these things can't do it buy it as a residential property with a vision to turn it into business like consulting rooms or a medical practice you can't do it that's changing the character of the asset
0: I must say stay a,
1: house, at, so stay a house
0: I must say looking at your article you know two-thirds of the article you go in and expound on these details and I must admit I thought I knew a lot about this stuff but I learned a lot reading this article going wow I didn't know that and and I guess one of the things I want to pick up on um you know you talk about a beach house the same rules apply and again this non-arms length about relatives staying in a in a in a rentable property or you using your own holiday home it's a big no-no um it's non-arms length i think it is gnarly uh, is the abbreviation but there's
1: there's lots of issues to it yeah there's sole purpose test which is talking about the the purpose of the property there's um providing financial assistance to a member or their relative yeah that's captured and then you've got things like non-arms length income and expenses
0: so you, you, you go on to write, to those who say, who's going to know? I reply, is a hefty fine or jail worth the risk? And in the last show, we talked about some of the fines that can potentially occur. Uh, they're not trivial. And and I think uh, many people should start wising up. The ATO are not schmucks. The ATO regulates the SMS the SMSF industry. It's different to APRA-regulated funds. So APRA uh, regulate the industry funds and the private uh, superannuation funds, the big guys. But SMSFs are regulated by the ATO. And being under the same roof, they're able to see what you as a taxpayer are doing a lot easier than APRA can and and i think people forget you know they do a lot of data matching their it systems are very very good and and so when reading through your your article i would highly highly commend to people Read what Neil has written here uh, and and take note because don't think that you can do it and oh nobody's gonna know and you know I, I nobody I, it's just a small thing. I can assure you, ladies and gents, because I've been audited, I've been down that path. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. I came out of it and I feel better for it because I learnt a lot, but it's just one of those really interesting situations. Um, you know, Neil, we keep on talking about. You know, being able to rely on educated people. Your association is there for people to come and talk to, aren't they?
1: We're we're a professional association, so we represent the accountants, the uh, financial advisors, the lawyers, the auditors, the actuaries, all the people that serve the SMSF industry. Hmm? So these are the people that can be um, the greatest asset to the SMSF trustee. And we there's a lot of really resources. good
0: material, a lot of yes. good resources yes. on your website too. So, Excellent so, yeah. reading material
1: smsf connect is our website for trustees and that provides articles and and insights and some education courses and things like that the other one of course is the um, ato so the ato website has some fantastic resources available to trustees but it, what you were saying about the ATO are absolutely spot on ray um, they're using artificial intelligence to data match uh-huh. one of the biggest problems we see is non-lodgement for SMSFs. In other words, they don't do their annual return. Um, The annual return is the ATO's mechanism of tracking contributions, um, organising your tax return if you're getting one, or your tax bill for the SMSF. So it's a requirement that you have to do it every year. Not lodging gets you a fine. Um, And as you said, some of these fines aren't trifling. But if we talk about it, we've got administrative penalties for. uh, SMSFs. We've got education directions. There's the risk of trustee disqualification, which uh, is, a, is was huge last year. The ATO disqualified somewhere around 750 trustees. So they really are stepping up their game um, in removing people from being able to run an SMSF. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not like bankruptcy where it lasts for five years, you're disqualified. You can never have an SMSF again. Um, so that's that's detrimental. Then, of course, the big ones have terms of imprisonment. So when I talked about that acquiring an asset from a related party, a really deliberate breach could see you imprisoned. Now, no one wants that. So there are big fines, big penalties going to with your eyes wide open. Um, you can't do this, you know, you can't throw the finger out at all the other people that are helping you and blame someone else, uh, because you sign a declaration when you commit to an SMSF for the ATO that says, pretty much, I know everything there is to know about running an SMSF. Culpa. So when you culpa. When you go, it wasn't me, it was them, No one's listening because you have to acknowledge that you are solely responsible for the compliance and administration of your fund. So, yeah, the ATO is definitely lifting its uh, efforts in monitoring the sector because the biggest problem is illegal early release where people think it's okay, it's the bank account, I can just tap into it, I'll put the money back before anyone knows. Usually when you're in financial difficulty, there's a reason for that and you just find it's a slippery slope. And as I said before, you tap into your retirement savings that are protected from creditors, you would have been better off going bankrupt. And when you're 60 or 65, you've actually got a pot of money there waiting for you to turn your life around.
0: Okay. And that's us for this week. I'm always pleased how quickly the time goes. Neil, we've got to get you back because there's so much more that we need to talk about in this space. Neil, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Very erudite and very educational. Thanks for being on Dollars and Making Sense.
1: Thanks, Ray. It's a pleasure to talk to you.